0: Best and brightest, come away. Fairer far than this fair day which, like thee to those in sorrow, comes to bid a sweet good morrow to the rough year just awake in its cradle on the break. The brightest hour of unborn spring through the winter wandering found, it seems, the halcyon morn to hoar February born. Bending from heaven in azure mirth, it kissed the forehead of the earth, and smiled upon the silent sea, and bade the frozen streams be free, and waked to music all their fountains, and breathed upon the frozen mountains, and like a prophetess of May, strewed flowers upon the barren way, making the wintry world appear like one on whom thou smilest, dear.
1: Welcome to Season by Season with Alexis and Kit, the podcast that celebrates and reforges our connection to nature and the passage of time. It is our hope that through prose, poetry, history, and sound, this podcast will help to inspire your interest in the natural world around us. Together,
2: Kit and I will be sharing observations of the seasons as we see them. We'll be looking through the lens of the 24 seasonal divisions, or mini-seasons as we like to call them, inspired by the progression of seasons in the traditional Japanese calendar.
1: Now is the season of deep cold, or Daikan, Spanning from January 20th to February 2nd, this season was classically when the coldest days of the year would fall.
2: Deep cold is preceded by the mini-season early cold and followed by the beginning of spring Gazing across a frozen landscape, we can't help but dream of brighter days we know await us in spring. As
1: in every season, there's lots to explore in the sky, in the ground, and in our lives as we begin our passage into deep cold. Let's bundle up against the chill and set out together to explore this special period Happy New Year, Alexis! Happy New Year, Kit! Wait,
2: isn't it a little late to be wishing Happy New Year at this point?
1: (laughs) Well, yes. We're already a few weeks into the year, and 2022 is beginning to feel more comfortable to say. But as this is our first episode of the New Year, and as we discussed the significance of firsts in our last January's Early Cold episode, I wanted to wish you and all our listeners Happy New Year anyway. Or at least, happy first episode of 2022. Ah, well, to you as well.
2: While we've been working on this first episode of the new year, the weather has been, well, winterish for sure. So far here in New York, there's not too much snow this year, which is too bad. Still, our daytime temperatures do hover around 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit, which is 1 to 4 degrees
1: celsius. Brr, that sounds cold to this Californian. You know, we've had a cold winter here in the Bay Area as well, but for me, that means I woke up a couple mornings to see frost on the ground. It's weather that my Minnesotan relatives would definitely think of as mild and pleasant, but it feels cold to me. I shouldn't complain about feeling cold, though, when we already have lots of green springing up everywhere.
2: When I think of late winter in Northern California, I think of big blue and gray skies against green rolling hills. There's a freshness everywhere. Hopefully, winter has brought enough rain that things will be growing in no time. But here in New York, it's a bit different. The days are often overcast with high clouds. The trees are bare. And what green there is hugs close to the ground. There's not a sense of freshness, more of Huddling close together.
1: Plant and animal alike. You know, that sounds like good staying indoors weather. This is a season when staying indoors feels pleasurable, even luxurious, just staying inside with nowhere to go. It's a great time for catching up on reading, maybe finishing the books you started during the Christmas book flood we discussed in our last episode.
2: You know, Kit, if I recall correctly, Reading more was one of your New Year's resolutions last year. Now that 2021 is over, should we check in and see how you did on that?
1: I'm happy to report that I did pretty well. In addition to the books I read with you here on Season by Season, that is Eating Wild Japan, Light Rains Sometimes Fall, and The Heirloom Gardener, I read quite a bit of fiction in 2021 as well. Joining a book club helped. And as you may remember, I especially resolved to read more poetry, I'm happy to report that I read over a thousand poems in 2021.
2: Over a thousand poems? Wow. Some of those must have been haiku.
1: (laughs) Well, yes. But I made up my mind to read three poems a day every day, and I did it. And I have you to thank for this. You gave me a book of poems last Christmas that really inspired me. Thank you, Alexis.
2: Well, good job, Kit. Reading over a thousand poems in a year is a pretty great accomplishment. How about sharing one with us now?
1: Here's one that I loved that seems a fine choice for this season. This is called Winter's Beauty by William Henry Davies.
3: Is it not fine to walk in spring when leaves are born and hear birds sing? And when they lose their singing powers, in summer watch the bees at flowers. Is it not fine, when summer's past, To have the leaves no longer fast, Biting my heel where'er I go, Or dancing lightly on my toe? Now winter's here, and rivers freeze. As I walk out, I see the trees, Wherein the pretty squirrels sleep, While standing in the snow so deep, And every twig, however small, Is blossomed white and beautiful? Then welcome, winter, with thy power, To make this tree a big white flower, to make this tree a lovely sight, with 50 brown arms draped in white, while thousands of small fingers show in soft white gloves of purest snow.
2: Ah, this poem has some lovely snow imagery, doesn't it? Every twig, however small, is blossomed white and beautiful.
1: And it won't be too long before those twigs are bearing real blossoms, not just blossoms of frost and snow. In the meantime, do you have any resolutions for 2022 that you'd like to talk about, Alexis?
2: Well, one of them is to keep my Japanese language studies going. It's harder than you might imagine when you don't have too much opportunity to use it. But researching this podcast is one way that I do that. Occasionally, I have to search and research in Japanese to find what I'm really looking for. After all, there aren't too many haiku about ramen that have been translated into English yet. Besides that, as our long-time listeners will know, we're approaching the end of the cycle of the 24 seasons. Our journey through the seasons, which began with Clear and Bright in April 2020, will finish its first phase with our upcoming March-April episode, The Spring Equinox. So one important goal for me this year is to finish these episodes strong and then to begin the next chapter. To everything, there is a season.
1: Yes. Alexis, you and I have already begun to discuss what the next leg of our seasonal journey together will look like. We have some exciting adventures planned for the year to come. And dear listeners, fear not. As the seasons continue in their cycle, so too will season by season. We want you to be a part of the journey with us. As always, you can follow along on our website, seasonbyseason.org, or check out our Facebook page for regular updates. We hope you'll be as excited for what's to come as we are.
2: And if this all sounds very vague right now, don't worry. We trust it will be a good surprise when that time comes. For now, we still have a good couple of seasons ahead of us. So let's get back to Deep Cold.
1: By all means, yet it feels like part of the joy of the season that we are constantly looking ahead in January. Our heads are still full of the excitement of new beginnings and our minds are open to the possibilities of the year before us.
2: Here's a poem by Annette Wynne that relates that familiar sense of delight in January.
4: I'm January, bringing you a year of days, all brand, brand new. I step upon the frosty ground. When chimes and sleigh bells ring around, you welcome me and children sing, and joy comes into everything. I bring you love and lots of cheer, and work and friends for all the year.
1: That's a great poem. It brings to mind all the frosty cheer that this time of year can bring. And
2: speaking of frosty cheer, I'm happy to welcome back after his holiday break last episode, our dear friend Hiroaki Sato, who returns to us with Hiro's Corner. As always, thanks to Edvon von Adderkast for providing narration. Let's listen.
5: The Big Cold Alexis and Kit, both tigresses this year, have picked Daikan, for the first kigo seasonal word for this year of the tiger. It may be translated as major cold, great cold, or even big cold. Ella Raymond Chandler. It is the coldest period of the year, according to the 24 solar terms. Having written this, I remember what my niece in Kyushu, Sumiko, has recently told me by email. Since her house isn't heated during the winter, which is true of most Japanese houses today, she must be careful when she gets up in the morning and steps out of her futon, because the blood pressure, the high blood pressure is the worst in the early morning. If she steps out unthinkingly, she may pass out because of the temperature difference between the warmth of the futon and the cold of the room. This prompts me to come up with a haiku. The big cold, conking out, to go with the HPB. Now let's turn to established haiku poets. Isa wrote... The big cold, big, and big is the moon tonight. Isa was from Shinano province, today's Nagano, a cold, mountainous place. He was a poor vagabond most of his life until, towards the end of his life... He got some inheritance through lawsuits. So we can't help admiring the poetic term of his mind in describing the moon on a deadly cold night. The big cold. I stumble and fall on both hands. Sadness. Saito Sanki, who wrote this, was in his thirties when he began dabbling in haiku, which is late for a haiku writer. Nevertheless, he soon found himself the leader of the newly rising haiku movement that essentially rejected seasonal words as a requisite for haiku. The big, cold piece quoted earlier is not one composed with the credo. If you want to know more about Sanki, you may read The Kobe Hotel, a selection of his essays and haikus translated by Saito Masaya. Just in case, Sanki and Masaya aren't related despite their same-sounding surnames. For one thing, the Chinese characters for their surnames are different, though I must add that that messiah is a formidable haiku poet in English. The next haiku is by Saito Umeko, another same surname, but again, she's not related to either man. With nothing on it, on the desk, the big cold has come and stayed. As often happens with haiku poets, Umeko has an occasion to explicate this piece. She remembered staying with her maternal grandmother's family. She was born in 1929, so it must have been an old house. In the guest room there sat a large, low-slung desk made of ebony, dark and menacing. A desk like that tended to cool the air even in the midst of summer. But in the winter, when she came upon it, she almost froze. So she felt the big cold had come upon the desk and decided to stay there. Though, she added, she doesn't like personification in haiku. In the cold, things become stark and starker. Ida Ryota wrote, In the big cold, not a single house hidden in the hometown. In the big cold, not a single house hidden in the hometown in the big cold, not a single house hidden in the hometown. Kokyo, here given as hometown, is almost the same as Furusato, Old Village, which some say may be close to German Heimkunft, although, as I prattle, I don't know anything about the German word, except that Mishima Yukio loved the way that Friedrich Hölderlin used it as the title of one of his poems as understood via Heidegger. Anyway, Ryuta was born in a tiny village in Yamanashi, which no longer exists. The village, not Yamanashi. Now, another word that Alexis and Kit gave me to contemplate on is, well, I can't cite it except in Chinese that I just can't pronounce. Ji-shi-ru. It means, on the face of it, chickens start milking. The phases is one of the 72 pentads or micro-seasons that describes the seasonal changing of the year by five-day segments, and it covers the last one-third of the big cold. To render the Chinese comprehensible, the Japanese read or interpret it as wa hajimete to yaki ni the chicken takes to the coop for the first time, that is to brood, to incubate. That's an old, old observation, but I wonder if that still is true, seasonally speaking. I raised chickens in the 1950s. Still, that Japanese paraphrase is too long for a haiku, as it takes up 13 of the 17 syllables. So the Japanese replaced it with the more manageable expression, the five syllable kantamago, egg in the cold. Here is an example by Tan Taigi of the 18th century. Made into a gift wrapper, 10 lives, the cold chicken eggs. Suto, here translated as gift wrapper, was most likely made of straws. During this time of year, I hope you all find a way of staying warm during this season of Big Cold.
2: Hiro's Corner has reminded me of all the snowstorms I've experienced living on the East Coast. Nearly all of them nor'easters, as they call them here. Snowstorms and blizzards are a particularly good kigo, or seasonal word, for this time of year. While I've experienced great snowstorms in October, November, or December, I think the biggest and most powerful ones happened in January and February, right around this time of year.
1: Speaking of snow, there has been a lot of snow in the Sierra Nevada mountains this year. Record setting.
2: I think the biggest snowstorm I've personally experienced so far was Storm Nemo when I was living in Boston. It happened right around this time of year. Streets were shut down, and soon they became filled with snowmen made by my neighbors. But you know, Even with 25 or so inches we received with Nemo, that's nothing compared to the Great Snowstorm of 1888, which remains one of the deadliest and heaviest snowfalls in the United States. Some parts of the country received up to 40 or 50
1: inches of snow. 50 inches. That's over four feet. Wow. Just imagine what Laura Ingalls Wilder felt when she wrote the Little House books. Here's a quote from The Long Winter. Laura thought of the lost and lonely houses, each one alone and blind and cowering in the fury of the storm. There were houses in town, but not even a light from one of them could reach another. And the town was all alone on the frozen, endless prairie, where snow drifted and winds howled, and the whirling blizzard put out the stars and the sun.
2: Snow and blizzards can be rather bleak but here's an uplifting poem from Alice Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. I wonder if the snow loves the trees and fields that it kisses them so gently and then it covers them up snug you know with a white quilt and perhaps it says go to sleep darlings till the summer comes
1: again. Here are a few haiku about winter storms and snow.
6: The winter storm Hide the bamboo grove and quiet it away.
0: Winter solitude, in a world of one color, the sound of wind.
1: Between the wind, snow, and harsh temperatures around this time of year, the natural world tends to look very bleak and stark.
2: Yes, the leaves are gone from the trees, Grasses are bleached nearly white, and the world takes on a gray, faded kind of hue. I think winter starkness is a good Kiko for this time of year. There is a power in the
1: starkness of winter scenery. The strength of the light is slowly returning. This time of year can be at once bleak and inspiring at the same time.
7: The trees are still. The bare, cold branches lie against a waiting sky. Light, Everywhere but ghostly light that seems the cast-off robe of dreams, and everywhere a hush that seems to hark at the doorway of the dark. O fields, white-sheeted, desolate, and dumb, if you knew what's to come!
2: It's not just snow and blizzards which represent cold, but another good to Kigo are ice and icicles. Again, this was something I never grew up with in California, but now on the East Coast, it's very familiar. Throughout winter, everything is constantly thawing and refreezing as the days warm just enough to allow for a bit of melting. When driving down New York highways, I often see large formations of gray icicles hanging from cliffs made of melt-off snow and formed from underground springs.
1: Here's a haiku by Issa about icicles seen near the flickering lights of a Shinto shrine. But maybe reflecting in your car's headlights would
3: also work?
8: Nightwind. The shrine's icicles reflect the lights.
1: It's not just icicles at this time of year, but all sorts of different kinds of ice that we might observe. Here are a selection of Japanese kigo describing the many forms that ice may take. Thin ice, like cicada wings, semigori. Mirror of ice, mirror ice, himokagami. Cotton ice, watagori. Sometimes, when the ice crystals start to form, we can even hear it. The word for voice of the ice is koori no koe.
2: Here are a few more. Flowers of ice, kori no hana, is when ice patterns form on a flat surface, like ripples. Ice dress, kori no koromo, is when ice forms around things.
1: Brrr, now I'm cold. It really does feel like deep cold.
2: Let's enjoy these beautiful, if sometimes a little dangerous, natural works of art And let's remember that although ice and snow may be troublesome and make our fingers hurt with chill, our natural environment relies upon snow and ice for spring runoff to feed our rivers and lands with their waters. Here's a poem about thawing
3: winds. Come with rain, O loud Southwester. Bring the singer, bring the nester. Give the buried flower a dream. Make the settled snowbank steam. Find the brown beneath the white. But whate'er you do tonight, bathe my window, make it flow. Melt it as the ice will go. Melt the glass and leave the sticks, like a hermit's crucifix. Burst into my narrow stall, swing the picture on the wall. Run the rattling pages o'er. Scatter poems on the floor. Turn the poet out of door.
2: I can't wait for the spring thaw. But in the meantime, I'm enjoying these slow indoor days of winter.
1: Well then, this song from the House on Pooh Corner is for you.
0: The more it snows, Tiddly-pum. the more it goes Tiddly-pum. the more it goes Tiddly-pum. on snowing. And nobody knows Tiddly-pum. how cold my toes
2: Tiddly-pum. how
0: cold my toes Tiddly-pum. are growing.
2: After our exploration of the great cold outdoors, it's nice to come inside again and warm up. We've talked about warming drinks and being cozy around the fire, but there are other indoor joys that seem especially comforting at this time of year when outside is often cold and unwelcoming. Can you guess what I'm going to say, Kit? I haven't a clue, Alexis. Ah, I thought you knew me better. I'm talking about naps, of course.
1: Ah, how could I have forgotten your love of naps? I think you've discussed a nap for every season. Maybe even a few times a season. (laughs) But seriously,
2: don't you find yourself sleeping more during this time of year? I know the days are lengthening, but the nights are still long. And after all the hullabaloo around the holidays, I feel like it takes me at least a month or two to recover and feel like I'm relaxed and restored and ready to take on the year. I enjoy taking it slow in winter indoors sleeping, drinking lots of tea, and just enjoying idling away the hours at home.
1: I see what you mean. Winter is a restorative time of year, most certainly. And your love of naps reminds me of a passage written by Henry David Thoreau. We sleep, and at length awake to the still reality of a winter morning. The snow lies warm as cotton or down upon the windowsill, The broadened sash and frosted panes admit a dim and private light, which enhances the snug cheer within. You see? Henry
2: David Thoreau understood.
1: And speaking of snug cheer, Alexis, wasn't one of your favorite parts about living in Japan during the winter enjoying a kotatsu?
2: Ah yes, the kotatsu. A cup of tea, a mandarin orange, and a kotatsu made for a lovely winter evening.
1: Listeners, for those who don't know, a kotatsu is a table frame with a heater installed underneath. The top of the table is removed, and sandwiched between the top and the frame is a large blanket which pools at the floor. The idea is that you are creating a space under the table which traps heat. The power of the heater and the blanket mean the kotatsu
2: are cozy places to sit at. Usually kotatsu are only a few feet off the ground, and so they are intended to be sat at using the floor, or floor cushions as a chair.
1: As you might imagine, there's a history. The origin of the kotatsu can be dated to the 14th century, and the Japanese cooking hearth, known as the irori. Raised seating was developed around the hearth, and this led to using a quilt to trap the heat. Although the use of cooking hearths declined in the modern era, the concept of trapping heat through this method did not. Without central
2: heating and with traditionally thin walls, many Japanese homes find the modern kotatsu to be a lifesaver. It keeps you warm and toasty, as long as you stay beneath the blanket. Listeners, if you still can't quite imagine what exactly it is we're talking about, we'll be sure to post a picture to our website, seasonbyseason.org.
6: No fixed place to live in my traveler's mind. This little Kotatsu.
7: Moving to a new home, it really fits perfectly. My old Kotatsu.
1: There are few things as cozy as a Kotatsu on a cold day. And as you say, it's necessary too. I think the coldest I have ever been was when I lived in Japan in January. Again, I know I am speaking as a Californian, but my tiny apartment was really not insulated very well. The kotatsu was a safe haven in a drafty room.
2: Hmm. Maybe staying warm would be a good kigoku for this season.
1: Fortunately, there are a lot of great ways to stay warm. Another object I relied on to get me through cold winters in Japan was my trusty water bottle.
2: Water bottles are called yutampo in Japanese, and they've been in use since the 15th century. Back then water bottles would typically be made of earthenware and it would be wrapped in a protective cloth before being placed under the bed sheets to warm the bed before one went to sleep. Nowadays they're usually made from rubber or plastic and come in a wide variety of sizes. My
1: hot water bottle rarely left my side on cold winter nights. I bought a cute cloth cover for mine that had an image of a sleeping cat. It brings up such a warm, cozy memory for me. Here are a couple of haiku from haiku poets who understood the charm of the hot water bottle.
4: My true love, night after night, my hot water bottle. All I ask of the world, a hot water bottle. I'm cold.
1: A kotatsu and a hot water bottle certainly help against the cold when you're at home. But what about when you have to go out? Bundling up is a necessity. Lots of layers and knitwear.
2: Ah, yes, knitwear. You like to knit, don't you, Kit? I remember you knit me a hat one year, a little blue one.
1: Yes, I love knitting. I know you'll understand this as a former Waldorf student yourself. I learned to knit from my mom, who is a prolific knitter herself. It's very calming for me. I guess I think of knitting as a wonderful winter pastime. I often knit in the days before Christmas, getting ready to give what I make as gifts, and also in the new year, to use up the yarn I inevitably have left over.
2: It's certainly a very cozy
1: hobby. Yarn can be very warming. I've knit some larger projects, but mostly hats or scarves, because I'm a little impatient and like to see progress quickly. Unfortunately, in California, it's too warm for much of the year to actually wear the things I knit.
2: Ah, uh, but you got some good use out of them living in Japan, though. I remember seeing lots of pictures of you in wintertime, wearing cute knit hats.
1: Ah, uh, thanks. But winter in Japan presented another problem. My hands would get too cold to hold knitting needles.
2: If it isn't one thing, it's another. Here's a haiku about just
7: that. Clicking of needles. The promise of warmth takes shape in my cold hands.
1: Really, if you can't manage it, I think the best practice is to stay indoors on cold days. Do a puzzle, play board games with your family, read books. And poetry. Yes, and poetry. Whatever you like, but it's a season for indoor activities.
2: I know we've talked about the pleasures of readings in other episodes as well, But there's truly something to the image of sitting by a fireside with a good book.
1: Or maybe under the kotatsu with a good book?
2: Anywhere warm with a good book. Maybe with a cat on the lap and a cup of tea on the side table. It makes the freezing weather outside seem so much more bearable.
0: Tis winter, and I love to read indoors. When the moon hangs her crescent up on high, while on the window-shutters, the wind roars, and storms like furies pass remorseless by. how pleasant on a feather-bed to lie, or sitting by the fire in fancy sore with Dante or with Milton to Regent's high, or read fresh volumes we've not seen before, or o'er old Burton's melancholy pour,
2: speaking of reading. One unusual bit of literature I've been enjoying perusing these days is... Seed catalogues. Seed catalogues.
1: That makes me think of our discussion of preparing the garden from last February's beginning of spring episode. We shared a poem by Sudi Stuart Hazer that included the lines, He knows no winter, he who loves the soil, For stormy days when he is free from toil, He plans his summer crops, Selects his seeds from bright-paged catalogues for garden needs. So, you've been perusing these bright-paged catalogs for yourself, hmm? I have to ask, are they actually interesting?
2: Well, you know, I was inspired by John Forte's book, The Heirloom Gardener, and his writing about ordering seeds in the winter, and dreaming of the spring garden. So, I signed up for a bunch of catalogs. Of course, you can look at seed catalogs online, too, but there's something about the physical copy of the catalog. So it's just lists of seeds? Oh, so much more than just a list of seeds. Let's listen to a few descriptions from seed catalogs, and I think you'll get a sense of it. First, here's a description for summer squash seeds.
0: Cocoselle. Open pollinated. Rich flavored zucchini ribbed with light green stripes. A bit more slender and graceful than costata and not quite as ribbed or blocky. Easier to harvest at a smaller, desirable, but not baby, size compared to costata, which drops its blossoms when it feels like it. This Italian heirloom was called Cucuzella di Napoli in the 1800s. The term zucchini, little squash, was first published in the USA by California seed house Aguilar and Musser in 1921.
2: Next, let's listen to a description of the herb called Spilanthes.
7: Spilanthes, Acmella oleracea, annual, known to herbalists as the toothache plant. Spilanthes' tingling, saliva-inducing, and mouth-numbing properties appear rapidly and last a while. Fun! Also known as saladcress, it was introduced from Brazil to North America in the 1860s and listed as pericress in seed catalogs a century ago. Use its bronzy purple leaves in salad or chew the leaves and flowers for temporary pain relief. Its immune stimulating properties are giving it a wider audience. Highly frost sensitive. Used as a ground cover in the south, it adds novel beauty with its low growth habit and its cute eyeball like rayless yellow flowers with red orange centers makes a colorful border planting in fertile, moist soil. And finally,
2: let's learn about the stirrup hoe.
9: Stirrup hoe. Also known as the souffle hoe, this is an essential tool for dealing with weeds large and small. The oscillating head works its way under the soil's surface where it slices through the weeds roots while you stay comfortably upright without need to exert as much downward pressure. Excellent for footpaths and in beds where rows are widely spaced. Start on one end of the path or row and scuffle your way backwards, cutting the roots with each pull stroke.
1: Wow, who knew there would be so much history and description? It really does make for interesting reading interesting
2: and imaginative by the way listeners all these descriptions come from the fedco's 2022 seed catalog check them out for yourself with each new seed record you dream of a small garden in your mind's eye and speaking of that it reminds me about another activity i enjoy during wintertime which is visiting conservatory gardens on a bleak winter's day There's nothing like that warm, moist tropical air as it wraps around you. Here's a poem called After the Winter by Claude McKay, which captures this luxurious feeling.
6: Some day, when trees have shed their leaves And against the morning's white The shivering birds beneath the eaves Have sheltered for the night We'll turn our faces southward, love Toward the summer isle where bamboos spire the shafted grove and wide-mouthed orchids smile. And we will seek the quiet hill where towers the cotton tree and leaps the laughing crystal rill and works the droning bee. And we will build a cottage there beside an open glade with black-ribbed bluebells blowing near and ferns that never fade.
1: Another great seasonal indoor activity is visiting museums. I find that I most enjoy museums during this time of year when the art transports me and when I don't mind being indoors so much like I might during summer.
2: In that spirit, let's listen to a new age interpretation of modest Mussorgsky's pictures at an exhibition performed by Electric Diamonds. We'll hear a selection of three movements, the hut of Baba Yaga the Paris catacombs, and the gates of Kiev. Atmospheric and transportive music. Thank you, Electric Diamond, for allowing us to use this music in our podcast. Listening to it reminds me of when I first saw it performed live. A cold, snowy day, actually. There's something about winter in the arts, isn't there? Another artistic activity I relate to this time of year is indulging in seeing Broadway shows, plays, visiting the symphony or opera. Again, Theatre, dance, and music have the power
9: to transport. I cannot dance upon my toes. No man instructed me, but oftentimes among my mind, a glee possesseth me that I had ballet knowledge would put itself abroad in pirouette to blanch a troupe or lay a prima mad. And though I had no gown of gauze, no ringlet to my hair, nor hopped to audiences like birds, one claw upon the air, nor tossed my shape in eider balls, nor rolled on wheels of snow, till I was out of sight in sound, the house on me so. Nor any know I know the art, I mention easy, here, Nor any placard boast me, it's full as opera.
2: Kit, you may not feel this so much being in California, but at a certain point during the winter, usually around February or so,
1: I start to get the need for green. The need for green, huh? Well, I guess I can understand that. Though, I admit, in California it's been looking pretty green for a while now. Winter in California certainly looks a little different from all the snow we've been talking about in this episode. This year in particular, we had a lot of very grey, rainy days. January is definitely still winter time. the branches on the trees are still all bare, but those rainy days also mean there's lots and lots of green coming up from the ground. The rolling hillsides around my home admittedly look picturesque and lovely.
2: Those bare branches are something I remember from my own California childhood. In the Sacramento Valley though, I seem to remember January looking a little bit more stark. It doesn't snow, but those branches seem to loom bare for a long time.
3: The poor trees stand and shiver so, like ragged beggars in a row, without a cloak and frost and snow. I think it's strange about the trees, in summer when there's a little breeze, they all dress up rich as you please. No beggars then, but fine and grand, like princes of a mighty land, across the world in rows they stand. but now in cold they shiver so like ragged beggars in a row without a cloak in wind and snow.
1: Adding a little more color to the landscape and even perhaps a sense of hopefulness are evergreen trees.
2: Evergreen trees are trees that retain their foliage and stay green throughout the growing season. For example,
1: pine, spruce, cedar. holly and juniper, and fir. Fir trees were the inspiration for this poem by John Clare.
8: The fir trees taper into twigs and wear. The rich blue-green of summer all the year. Softening the roughest tempest, almost calm. And offering shelter, ever still and warm. to the small path that towels underneath, where loudest winds, almost as summer's breath, scarce fan the weed that lingers green below, when others out of doors are lost in frost and snow. And sweet the music trembles on the ear as the wind southers through each tiny spear. Make shifts for leaves, and yet so rich they show. Winter is almost summer where they grow.
2: Winter is almost summer where they grow. What a good description of evergreens! It gives one a sense of hope for better weather ahead.
1: One more tree that we might not think of as evergreen, but it is eucalyptus, which I have in my backyard.
2: Ah, the eucalyptus trees of California. I remember them, along with the California green from when I visited California in February for your wedding. It was wonderful. Listeners, what about where you live? Is it warm, cold and gray? No matter where you live, one year-round joy that gives us pleasure, but I think particularly so in winter, are houseplants.
1: Ah yes, houseplants. They've become really popular over the last few years. And houseplants and keeping plants indoors has a history too. In the 17th century, citrus trees were a status symbol among the wealthiest in society, and greenhouses were built to protect these highly coveted specimens during winter. Nowadays, with a sunny window, we can all enjoy citrus during the winter. Calamondins are a small type of citrus that tend to do well indoors all year. Didn't you have one, Alexis?
2: Yes, I've had a few Calamondans throughout the years. You can use the fruits to make marmalade and add them to mixed drinks. Listeners will post a picture of orangeries and Calamondans on our website. Maybe you can give growing one a try.
1: Citrus aside, houseplants were very popular with the Victorians, too. They loved their palms and ferns. In fact, many conservatory gardens date back to the Victorian era. Kaushik Parwari notes in a fascinating article about houseplants during this time that one of the most popular plants was the Aspidistra, which also went by the name cast iron plant.
2: Aspidistra is actually a native to Japan and Taiwan, and is a slow-growing evergreen perennial plant with dark glossy green leaves. It was first brought to Europe in the 1820s.
1: As you might have guessed, the nickname cast iron plant comes from its remarkable tolerance to neglect and abuse including its ability to handle extreme temperature fluctuations, withstand drought, most pests, and even thrive in low light and poor air quality.
2: Cast iron plants were so common that they came to represent a symbol of full middle-class respectability, according to the Oxford English Dictionary.
1: Listeners, will post a picture of cast iron plants, I mean Aspidistra, on our website seasonbyseason.org.
3: You
2: know, we've talked quite a bit about the deep cold of this season, and ways to keep warm. We've discussed indoor activities, but for me, one of the most poignant feelings that comes up around this time of year is the longing for spring.
1: There's an interesting holiday in Japan that celebrates the start of spring. Setsubun, or the seasonal divide. The term setsubun
2: originally referred to the days marking the change from one season to the next. But today, Setsubun has come to refer only to the day before Dishun or the beginning of spring.
1: That means it's the day on the cusp between this season of deep cold and our next season. Setsubun falls on February 3rd this year.
2: One of the most popular ways that Setsubun is celebrated throughout Japan is with the ceremony of Mamemaki, a bean-throwing ceremony. Families fill up a cup with roasted soybeans and throw the beans outside the house, shouting, Oniwasoto, Fukuauchi, which translates roughly to, Out with the demons, in with the good fortune.
1: This ritual began as a New Year's rite back when Japan still followed the old calendar. The beginning of spring season was the start of the New Year back then. Throwing the beans symbolized the casting off of old impurities and sin. Nowadays, it's become quite a joyful ceremony about driving out bad fortune, while praying for good fortune.
2: Mamemaki is very popular with young children because it's really a lot of fun. In some families, an older family member will act as a demon for the kids to throw their beans at and drive away. Many schools also have their students make demon masks and have a bean-throwing ceremony with treats at the end.
1: Listeners, we're saying demon, which sounds scary, but the word oni has also been translated as ogre. They're often portrayed as sort of goofy, kid-friendly characters these days. We'll post some pictures on our website, seasonbyseason.org.
2: After the bean throwing, everyone eats the number of beans to equal their own age and years. This is done to promote good health in the coming year.
1: Aside from beans, another food to enjoy on satsubun is called ehomaki. Ehomaki is a long sushi roll, sometimes very long. It's never cut for good luck benefits. Ehomaki is filled with seven different ingredients to symbolize the seven gods of happiness, but there is no hard and fast rule about which ingredients are used. There is a lot of variation.
2: Of course, Ehomaki can be purchased at just about any store during Setsubun. Interestingly, there has recently been some controversy over Ehomaki production, since stores tend to overproduce them. In 2018, an estimated $10 million worth of ehomaki were discarded after Satsubun, leading to social media criticism and a call to reduced ehomaki waste.
1: I think one of the joys of ehomaki is making your own, anyway. That way, you get to decide what ingredients to include. We'll post a recipe on our website for our ambitious listeners.
2: Now, there are some rules to follow when eating ehomaki for good luck. First, the entire roll must be eaten at once. No splitting up your ehomaki and saving part of it for later. Also, the ehomaki should be eaten in complete silence. For maximum luck potential, you should also be facing the lucky direction for the year. Yes, the lucky direction. Which, in 2022, is north by northwest.
1: Thanks to the traditions of mamemaki and ehomaki. Setsubun endures as an enjoyable event to welcome the next phase of the year, the long-awaited spring.
2: Here in the United States, we have a special day to welcome spring, one that coincidentally takes place almost at the same time as Setsubun.
1: That's right. It's Groundhog Day.
2: Groundhog Day falls every February 2nd, and this year it falls on the seemingly auspicious date of 2 or February 2nd, 2022. You may know the story of Groundhog Day already, but it may sound a little unusual to those unfamiliar with the custom.
1: I think of it as a celebration of the coming spring, but maybe it's really a day celebrating weather forecasting?
2: The tradition goes, if, on February 2nd, a groundhog emerges from his home and doesn't see his shadow, it will be an early spring. If the groundhog does see his shadow, it means six more weeks of winter.
1: If you're wondering how groundhogs came to be predictors of the weather, it's a belief that actually has its roots in ancient Europe. German lore held that hedgehogs could foretell the weather on Candlemas Day. Early German-American settlers to Pennsylvania kept this tradition, but substituted groundhogs, which were far more plentiful hibernating animals.
2: The most famous prognosticating groundhog is probably Puxitani Phil, who has been predicting the weather each February 2nd in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania since 1887.
1: Phil's predictions aren't actually too accurate. According to some sources, he's only correct about the weather about 39% of the time. Even so, that doesn't stop thousands of visitors flocking to Punxsutawney to celebrate each year.
2: Even though we may not take the groundhog's predictions too seriously, Groundhog Day is a fun day in early February, where we can speculate about the spring that lies ahead. As the Puxatawney Groundhog Club calls it, a day to take everything a little less seriously and break up the winter monotony, at least for a little while.
1: Whether the groundhog sees his shadow or not, and though it may not feel like it now, especially in colder climates, we know spring is on its way. That's right. The
2: next season after this mini-season is already the beginning of spring. It's a reassuring thing to keep in mind.
1: Another quote that we shared from last February's episode was from Samuel Taylor Coleridge: Winter, slumbering in the open air, wears on his smiling face a dream of spring.
2: Yes, a dream of spring. This dark, cold time right before the beginning of spring has inspired poets for ages, Our opening poem of this episode captured some of that same
1: spirit, I think. Here's one final poem that you might like, Alexis, filled with longing and hope by John Greenleaf Whittier.
4: Bland as the morning breath of June, the Southwest breezes play. And through its haze, the winter noon seems warm as summer's day. The snow plumed angel of the North has dropped his icy spear. Again, the mossy earth looks forth Again the streams gush clear. The fox his hillside cell forsakes, the muskrat leaves his nook, the bluebird in the meadow breaks is singing with the brook. Bear up, O Mother Nature, cried the bird-breeze and streamlet free, our winter voices prophecy of summer days to thee. So in those winters of the soul, by bitter blasts and drear, or swept from memory's frozen pole will sunny days appear. Reviving hope and faith, they show the soul its living powers, and how beneath the winter's snow lie germs of summer flowers.
1: Listeners, thank you for joining us in this season of Deep Cold. Even though it's a quiet time of year, it's time for us to rest recenter and renew ourselves for the year ahead. After all, in this deep winter, can spring be far away? And
2: speaking of spring, as we mentioned earlier, the next mini-season which follows deep cold according to the Japanese calendar is the beginning of spring. We'll include a link to our 2020 archival episode for you to enjoy for the next season ahead on our website.
1: Meanwhile, here in the cold, some of the kigo, or seasonal words, we covered in this episode are indoor pleasures, including reading, knitting, visiting museums, seeing plays, ballet, and opera, great snowstorms, icicles, resting and naps, kotatsu, hot water bottles, stark scenery, bleached grasses, bare branches, evergreens, bundling up, houseplants, including aspidistra; the need for green, Setsubun, groundhog day, and spring being just around the corner,
2: Listeners, what are some other seasonal words you associate with this mini-season? As always, you can email your Kiko to Podcast at gmail.com or feel free to share them on our Facebook page.
1: On this episode, you heard poems and prose by Percy Bysshe Shelley, William Henry Davies, Annette Wynn, Matsuo Basho, Amos Russell-Wells, Kobayashi Issa, Robert Frost, A. A. Milne, Yoso Busan, Naito Mesetsu, John Clare, Claude McKay, Emily Dickinson, and John Greenleaf Whittier. The poems featured on this podcast are in the public domain or with permission from their creators.
2: We would like to thank our poetry readers this episode. Corey Kohler, Andrew Proser, Julia Holmes-Bailey, Wendy Ikemoto, Catherine Piper, Stuart Diamond, Chris Whittaker, Cyrus Lanthier, Lynn Hickman, Carl Smith, Jason Berner, and Nikki Gempf. We would also like to extend a special thanks to Hiroaki Sato for his contribution segment, Hiro's Corner, and to narrator Ed von Atterkass.
1: We would also like to thank Electric Diamond for use of their Pictures at an Exhibition.
2: And remember, there's lots of extra seasonality at our website, seasonbyseason.org, including our specially curated Spotify playlists, full of songs to keep you company as you wait out the cold by staying indoors.
1: To end with another quote by Henry David Thoreau, in winter we lead a more inward life. Our hearts are warm and cheery, like cottages under drifts, whose windows and doors are half concealed, but from whose chimneys the smoke cheerfully ascends.
2: May your heart stay warm and cheery from this season into the next.
1: As we look forward to warmer days ahead, We hope you will join us for our next episode, Snow Becomes Rain.
2: See you in another season.